situation. Um, Carlton Weather is supposed to be preaching this morning, but he and Aaron had some kind of business to attend to in Indianapolis, and so uh, they took off that way. Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just Google Indianapolis and maybe you'll get it. Um, but they're, they're having fun up there, and so um, I jumped in this, this week for him. To, that's one of the reasons we do this, so that um, things like that can happen. But today is Vision Sunday. Uh, if you've been with us, you know that these five Sundays in January were uh, topically hitting things uh, to talk about as we start the year. Last week, we looked at year in review in 2020 and all that God did through our church and with our church in 2020, and it is awesome and exciting. And now, this week is... Vision Sunday, where we look out into 2022 and, uh, and see what all God is going to do. We, we get excited about this. And uh, the, the vision for, Vision Sunday is a little different at Grace Fellowship because uh, the vision is not changed in the 18 or so years that the church has been here. The vision is given to us by Jesus where he says uh, the whole law is summed up in two commands, love God and love others. And so that, as Grace Fellowship, is what we seek to do every year that we live. And we know that there's a lot summed up there, right? Um, We know that there's those two statements are packed, and we actually can't carry them out unless Christ fills us, and he is our righteousness and leads us to those things. Um, But that's what we hope to do as a church, is to love God and love people in 2022. But the nuance or the, the kind of focus that we want for this year Uh, is written on your bulletin, and if you got your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians 12. It's playing your part, playing your part. And, you know, it's it's neat because by God's providence, I am the one preaching today, and I know a little bit about something about playing your part. As Carlton mentioned last week, uh, the past seven months of my life, I've uh, got the privilege of being a basketball coach for uh, a local high school team, and it's been a lot of fun. Uh, you know, I've got all kinds of stuff that has happened uh, that I won't go in detail about, but one of the most difficult things that I've had to accomplish with our team in the past seven months is getting them to play their part, or as we say it, do your job. Um, and this is really difficult because I'm coming in with a new philosophy with new ways of doing things, and for them it's really tough to find their niche, to find their role, and to just do it, to stay in their lane. But, but our rise and fall as a basketball team, I told them this, will be dependent upon two things. Number one, you doing your job. And number two, buy-in and not mere compliance of doing your job. So, so we can say, well, I'm doing my job. But are you doing your job half-heartedly? Do you really believe in your job? Do you really believe in the role that God has given you? Do you really believe what your calling is? And are you doing it with all your heart and soul? Because if you're not, then you will not receive and not give all of what God has for you and others. Compliance and not buy-in will only get you so far. And what I've told our team this year is, if we want to be a mediocre team, then just comply with what I say. But if we want to be a really good team, then buy in. And so church, I I think that is a part of Paul's message in 1 Corinthians 12, is we got to buy in. 
to our role in this body, to the vision of the body overall, but then our unique role inside the body, and do it with all our heart. And when that happens, beautiful things happen. And, and how important is this? You know, basketball is, is just some, it, it's, it's a game, it's fun, it teaches us a lot, but, but it's over here. The church, how important is the church? I want you to hear, before we go to 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 3.10, what Paul says about the church. He says that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God will be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. The manifold wisdom of God will be on display for the world and even the heavens. So how big of a deal is this that we know our role and we play our part in God's church as his body? Anything that I say would be an understatement. Let's just put it that way. It's a massive deal. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 12 about playing our part. Paul says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another, by, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and were all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose all were single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unrepresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, 
third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. Let me pray for us. Father, we do thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, as a, a leader of this body, as, as a, one you've called to be part of the pastoral team, to shepherd, under-shepherd this body, I do desire us to be unified and work in unison with one another, different parts. But God, I know that you desire your body to function the way that your word says you chose them to function so much more than I do. And so, God, I'm calling and asking for your power this morning to help us as we listen, help me as I preach. God, to, that your Holy Spirit might take effect through your word this morning and change our hearts and help us, God, to know, to be informed about how you've gifted us and also walk by faith and function in that giftedness. In Jesus' name, amen. So for you note takers this morning, uh, I've got three very simple points, keeping it crazy simple. You ready for this? Number one, you're going to have a problem, the problem in the text. Number two, the answer to that problem. And lastly, third, the way forward. So the problem, the answer, and the way forward. Uh, if you look at verse 1 through 3, you'll see the problem. And Paul begins with the problem because I, uh, I think, personally, that's a great place to begin with. That Paul thought so too. He said, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Uninformed. So that's going to be our first idea under the problem. Uh, we are oftentimes uninformed. I don't think there's anyone in here that could stand up and say, actually, I'm informed about everything, right? Um, unless you've been on Jeopardy, and then maybe you are informed about everything. I don't know where those people read their news, but it seems like they know it all. But none of us are, have all the information. None of us are informed about everything. And Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed. Now, he doesn't want the church to be uninformed and he thinks that maybe they are uninformed because what's happening in the Corinthian church is there's a schism. There's lots of divisions. There's lots of splintering offs and fighting about all kinds of different things, from petty to major issues, right, as we see in the first part of the book. But he says this is not the way it should be. And, and one of the things that I think maybe is a problem is you're uninformed. You're not informed about what God wants for you. You're not informed about the way the body is meant to function. And you're not informed about how this church should be different. God's given his church various gifts. I, I want you to be informed. But the second thing he says is in verse 2, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. So first he says, you're, I don't want you to be uninformed, and maybe that's one part of the problem. But secondly, I want to call out and remind you that you are constantly led astray. That's your nature, is to be led astray. Remember we sing that song, Be Thou My Vision, and what do we say? Lord, my heart is prone to wonder, prone to leave the God I love. We've all got to 
remember that as we walk in anything in this world, we are prone to wonder. If, if we allow gravity to take us, where will it take us? Straight to sin. Straight to wondering from God. And so that's what Paul calls out here. He says, you are often led astray. You were led astray until God saved you, but that's still in you. You haven't been delivered from this body of death that Paul would say. Now, I do want to dig in a little bit to this idea of being led astray because it's not enough to just know that you're being led astray. Like if someone were to yell at you, you're being led astray, you're, you're veering off, right? You would respond, how? I, I'm not seeing it or I wouldn't go that direction. How is that? Well, a couple of things that I think are pertinent to this discussion about unity in the body and caring about one another, the uh, Apostle John can help us with in his epistle. In his epistle, he's calling the world not to be, or he's calling the church not to be worldly. And he reminds them in 1 John 2.16 what worldliness looks like. He says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Now, we're going to dig in even more to this verse. But what I want you to know is that in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve are deceived by the serpent, what does God say about the serpent in the beginning of that chapter? He says, the serpent is the most crafty of all the beasts. Guys, we have a crafty and subtle enemy. And what he loves to do is take the world's philosophy mixed with some of God's truth and make this cool cocktail that we enjoy drinking. Why? Well, because it's who we are in these bodies. We're still somewhat flesh and we are spiritual people. God has placed his spirit in us. And so when he knows, when he calls out with this cocktail to give us, we come running. Now, what does this cocktail look like? Well, for, for this issue and for this discussion, I think it oftentimes looks like suspicion in the body. We grow suspicious of one another because we're different from one another. And do you know where that suspicion comes from? the pride of life. We're proud people and we're confident of our way and when you're not doing things that line up with how I know to do them, rather than be gracious to you and go, well, she just must be different, what do I do? I wonder what they're up to. You know, they're always trying to do stuff like this. Here they go again, pull another stunt because that's, that's who they are, right? We start characterizing people. We start putting people in boxes. We grow suspicious. We question motives. We overanalyze everything. Why didn't they speak to me? They walked right by me and looked me in the eyes. As you know how many times I look people dead in the eyes and I don't see them? It happens all the time, mainly because I have three children, and most of the time what's going up in here when I'm just walking around is not like, it's just like I'm, I'm walking, but I'm not actually there, okay? The lights are on, but nobody's home. But we do this to people, right? 
Somebody else could have walked right by us and looked at us and continued on. We go, yeah, they're busy doing something. But for others, we don't show that grace because we're suspicious of them. So we question, why, why didn't they look at me? Why are they doing things this way? They question even those in leadership of the church. Why are we not making these decisions? Why are we making these decisions? Oh, here we go again, right? And it's much like um, questioning, even when, even when there are questions asked, it's much like uh, questions being asked on a trial rather than genuine questions being asked. It's the assumption is already there, right? And, and all you're doing by asking your questions is getting to the answer that you already want. That you know that's what's already going on and I'm going to prove it by asking you questions. Guys, can I say that's a, that's a terrible place to live? Let me just step aside. If, if you're doing that in your marriage, men, stop it. Women, if you're doing that in your marriage, stop it. You're making a terrible environment for your home. But you know what? If you're doing that in the church to people, stop it. That's a terrible environment. We don't want this place to be a courtroom scene. We want this place to be a home. This is God's body, his church. And so we've got to treat each other with grace and not suspicion. But we, we also got to ask the question of, well, why are we asking these line of questions? You said it was the pride of life, but where does that come from? Well, these lines of questions come from a self-centered mind that overanalyzes all life's events in a way that makes sense to that person's current understanding. Did you hear that? It's an overanalyzation of all life's events in a way that makes sense to my finite understanding. And why might one think that way? Well, we have wrongly assumed that the way we currently understand the truth is the only way the truth could be understood. And I know this makes some people in here very uncomfortable. <laughs> but do you know this is where Satan had a chokehold on religious leaders? It's where he had a chokehold on them. They were not being humble in their approach to the truth that they knew to be true, and therefore the God of all creation could stand in front of them and tell them the truth, and they would say, you're a blasphemer. Do you know we're capable of getting to that spot? That's scary. And if we can do that, if we know we're capable of doing that, then how in the world do we treat one another? <laughs> the God who loves us and created us He's come to save us, stands in front of us, and we're, we, we are those that say, blasphemer, get out of here. Gosh, there's no end to how we would treat each other. So they had corrupted the truth, become self-centered in their thinking, and had become suspicious of everyone else. That's what John, 1 John 2.16 means when it talks about the desires of the eyes, the desires of the flesh, the pride of life. But look at verse 3. What is he talking about in verse 3 when he makes this statement that one cannot say Jesus is accursed if he has God's spirit and one with God's spirit can only say Jesus is Lord. That seems pretty obvious 
Why are you stating it like that, Paul? Well, here's the idea behind this. He's saying, you fail to see your own hypocrisy. You, you act in a manner that is more prideful, arrogant, and worldly, not of God's spirit, and yet you call it holy and righteous and justified. You're failing to see your own hypocrisy. Because Jesus is Lord is not just a statement that you make up here and you're baptized and everything's good. Jesus is Lord is a statement that you make from your heart and it's a way that you walk out life. And if that's not what it is, then you have no hope. You understand? Professing things or saying the right answer to things may get you A's on test, but it won't get you righteous before God. He sees what's in your heart. And what's in our heart comes out in our actions, according to Jesus. And so, we must see the hypocrisy. So that's the problem. That's number one. At certain times and with certain issues, we are uninformed. We have a natural tendency to be suspicious of others and self-centered in our thinking. And often we fail to recognize our own hypocrisy. Secondly, what is the answer? Well, the answer is found in verse 7, I believe. But let's read 4, 5, and 6 as it sets it up. 4, 5, and 6 says, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Do you see what he's doing there? That's a little Trinitarian theology there. Saying lots of different things the Spirit gives, but it's the Spirit. Lots of different things the Lord gives, but it's the Lord, Jesus. Lots of different things, but it's God the Father. And then look at verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what? The common good. The common good. That's the answer. God has saved you. God has redeemed you. And now God has given you gifts by his spirit to be used for the common good. The common good. Primarily the common good of his church. The common good is what is most important. And we have a tendency to struggle with this as Americans because we're individuals. We know our rights, our individual rights as Americans. But can I tell you that before you're an American, you're a Christian. You're a Christian. And what being a Christian means, according to Paul in this passage, is that you are a member of his body. You are not your own. You belong to him. And he's given you a purpose, a unique purpose that he's chosen to give you to be used for the common good. Not primarily for yourself or your family but the common good in his church. You know, there's a, 
false bifurcation that we can often work out in our heads. And once again, I think it's just from going back to the problem of being, have this cocktail of some world, some truth type thing. And we can think that what is best for my family is not always what's best for the church. Do you know that's not true? What's best for God's church is always what's best for your family. Radical idea, huh? It is. And what's best for your family is always what's best for God's church. Well, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Answer, God's body, his church, his bride. Now, well, Corey, how does that play out? Does that mean you're willing to work 80 hours and neglect your family? No, because I'm in conflict with God's command there. And I'm no, I have no, 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 uh, no qualification there then to lead God's church. God's got this whole thing played out if we'll just dig in and not drink the cocktail. He's gifted you for the common good of his church. So don't try to make these false bifurcations about, well, you know, I, I, I can't, I, I, I got to do me. That's a worldly philosophy. Primarily, you need to switch your thinking when you become a Christian of going, what is best for God's church? And then that'll play out into what's best for your family. If you do it that way, I can promise you, there, there, there will be much grace to be had there. That's God's prescription. He goes on in verse 8, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another by faith, or faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability of distinguish different spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as what? He wills. The giftings that you have didn't come by your own making. The giftings that you have weren't a luck of the draw. The giftings that you have, according to this passage, is what God has chosen to give you because he wants to use you in this way. So, don't try to play somebody else's part. Play your part. As you do that, God's church will be built up. But if you're busy out trying to play someone else's part, no one's playing your part. And God's church isn't displaying the manifold wisdom of God as it should be. And the church is not being built up as she should be because they're missing your gifting. God's Spirit has given you. For just as the body is one and has many members, 
And all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we're all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. We are all one. All one. And that's what I think people get confused sometimes with is... We think to ourselves, well, if I'm just carrying out my role and no one's doing that role, someone needs to be doing that role. Just do your role. It's good that you see that, but we need you to do your role, right? I, hear, I can't tell you how many times I hear that from my guys. Uh, something will go wrong on the floor and they'll come over to me and I'll say, why did you not do your job? And they'll go, well, because so-and-so didn't do his. Boy. <laughs> Man, that makes me upset. There was no fine print that if so-and-so didn't do his job, you shouldn't do your job. Do your job. Play your part. But here's, here's the big idea in this passage, the, the part of the passage that we just read. We are one. And we're all laboring together, loving God, loving one another, all laboring for the same task, all doing different tasks that lead up to this. But if we're not careful, we will begin thinking that the goal is uniformity and not unity. Now let me talk a little bit about that. What is uniformity? What do you mean by that? Well, I mean by that, that everybody looks, thinks, and acts the same. It's not going to be good here at Grace Fellowship if everyone looks, thinks, and acts the same. You might think, well, I thought that was the whole purpose, that we do that, right? No. It's the purpose that we grow up into Christ's likeness. But what this will not do is rub out all of the different nuances and giftings that he's made you as a unique individual expressing his perfect nature in a beautiful display. And her in a beautiful display and him in a beautiful display of him Christ is the picture we're all part of that that's what the scripture's saying all parts of his body but can you imagine a church with a whole bunch of hands let's just call it the hand church they get a lot done but how would a foot feel at a hand church you with me? Probably a little out of place. This is why it's important, church, that we not become one type of people. But that we express the giftings that God's had given, his Holy Spirit's given us through the gospel, through the beautiful display of scripture. We're not trying to beat people down. We're trying to grow people up. Be a little vulnerable here for a second. Um, do you know who I argue most with in my life? You're scared to, you're scared to guess. It's okay. Um, my wife, I know all you married people are like, duh, right? 
Yes, that's who I argue most with in my life is my wife. Why? Because we're closest. We have a very close relationship. But secondly, because we don't see the things the same way. She thinks our two-year-old needs his hand held when he's crossing the street. I'm just like, just look out where you're going, bruh. You understand? So we see things a little differently. Now it's important that I don't rub out all the beautiful designs and ways that my wife has is made by God and created to actually care about our children and safety, right? But it's also important that she doesn't rub out all the things in me in the way that God has wired me to be a fearless, not reckless, leader. You with me? If we do, it becomes an imbalance. You know the number two persons I argue with the most? Your pastors. My pastors. You know why that is? Because we're very different. Praise God. Like I want to tell you, if this church in the next 10 years begins hiring a bunch of Corys, you need to leave. Not joking. I tell these guys this often, and they tell me the same. We, we, we believe in this. That there is beauty in diversity of thought. But here's what we can't have, church. We can't have, well, you think like that and I think like this. You stand over there and I'll stand over here and we'll just do our own thing. That was the Corinthian church's problem. And what Paul is telling them is, no, hands and feet need to work together. If you don't understand why a foot does what a foot does, talk to them. Talk to them. Don't come suspiciously like we said, but try to get to learn and grow and understand why this person values the things they value. Why it seems that they're always obstinate on these issues. Why it, they don't care about this stuff. Figure that stuff out. And as you figure that out, as we spend more time together, what's going to happen is we're going to grow in respect and love for each other. Because we're going to see, man... We need Ann Sprayberry here. Man. We need Adam Allen. Man. We need Jacob Pullen. Like, but this is not the way of the world. This is counter way of the world. Here's what the way of the world does. Did you hear what so-and-so said? They're always doing that, aren't they? Always going to, oh, um, mm. I just want, like, I just confess, I do this, and it's wrong. It's not right. We have got to figure out a way, church, to be able to talk positively about others who hold different opinions on things than we do. Think about that. How often do you talk positively about someone's opinion of something when it differs from your own opinion? Not often. That's what Paul's getting at. We are of the same 
body. We are different instruments, different members, same body. So the key is being all out committed to the common good. Unity, not uniformity, is the way. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. The foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it less, any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Many parts, and yet one body. And the next idea that Paul's going to jump to is that there are less visible parts of the body, but those less visible parts are not to be neglected. Listen to what he says. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Think about when you, when you see a person Are you staring at their hands? If you are, that's strange. (laughs) Most of the time when you meet people or you're looking at a person, you're looking in their what? Their eyes. Very visible. So is it okay for the eye to say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet? What do you look at when you see a person? You're looking at their feet, stop it. For the head to say to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. They're indispensable. Look at what we're doing this morning. All of you are sitting listening to God's word proclaimed through me. Does that mean I'm more important than you? No. Don't get that wrong. Does that mean you're less important than me? No. That mean I'm indispensable and you're not? No. That's not what that means. But in the church, we constantly do this. Based on the presentableness of the body part, we say, well, that one we can afford to lose, this one we can't. Wrong. Paul says different here. On those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unrepresentable parts are treated with greater modesty which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body. That's the key. We don't want to be divided here. But that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Imagine a body like that, man. All rejoice together. So let's celebrate these differences. Let's celebrate the fact that I'm not the one making bread for communion. Right? Praise God we have a servant who's willing to do that for us. And Be careful how you talk about people who are different from you. Be careful. I want to make this statement before I go to the last point. I think it was like a year or two into my marriage, I was watching uh, Matt Chandler did like a um, marriage conference. Uh, seminar video or something I was watching it online and uh, he said something that's like a lightning bolt struck me he said um, are you an expert in your wife's weaknesses and he said "If, if you're unsure just get out a paper and start writing all the things down she gets wrong and she's weak at and then get another sheet of paper and write down her strengths 
And how quickly and how long was that one? How quickly, how long was that one? And I figured out real quick, a year or two into marriage, I was an expert at my wife's weaknesses. Now let's pull that over. If you in this body are an expert at the people sitting in the rest of this body, if you're an expert at their weaknesses, stop it. Begin becoming an expert of their strengths. It'll change the way you talk about them. It'll change that it got so much better. And if you're discontented, disgruntled, just wonder why everybody's just so jacked up in this body. Maybe it's you. Lastly, the way forward. Look at verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongue. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? The answer to all those is no. But earnestly desire the higher gifts. So here it is, put simply, the way forward. Number one, understand how God has gifted you to serve in his body. Figure it out. Now, you might be wondering, um, what do I do? Do I do a spiritual gift survey test? Do I um, get online and find my Enneagram? Do I, um, what do I do? Just try a whole bunch of stuff? Well, here's what I would say is the best thing to do. Join a home group. Get yourself in community on a weekly basis with other people. This is wonderful, but most of our time here together this morning is spent with you sitting in a chair, as Ryan talked about, it's the row, you sitting in a chair, singing songs together corporately, and listening to the word proclaimed. You need time where you're eating a meal with with, with the same group of people every week and breaking, like opening up the word with them, praying with them, them getting to know you. You showing up to home group when you don't feel like it and being a little bit on edge. I'm not joking. Some of you go, I just can't do it tonight. Can't, can't, can't. Oh, gosh, can't, right? No, that's the moment you needed to show up. Stop putting your pretty face on in front of everybody all the time. We need to know each other. And home group is the way in Grace Fellowship that we get to know each other. And here's, here's here's the biggest thing. Gifting is discerned in community. Gifting is discerned in community. I'll never forget, I was 21 years old and absolute heathen at the time. I'm serious. And, and I, I was trying to stop being a heathen and was being a part of my college ministry at the time, trying to go faithfully. And I'll never forget my college minister's wife said to me one night. She said, Corey, you need to be coaching or preaching. At 21, she said, you need to be coaching or preaching. I laughed. I said, I'm not doing neither one of those ever. I'm serious. Didn't have any desire to. I'm not, I'm not doing either one of those. And I had reasons for both of them that I could tell you why I wasn't going to do either one of those. I'm not saying she has the gift of prophecy, but you see what I'm saying, though? In community, 
you're able, your gifting that God has given you by his spirit is being able to be discerned in community. Secondly, remember, you're the members of the body. Whose body? Christ. Jesus' body. So the worst thing you could possibly do is read a ton of books, get a ton of knowledge, and have your judo just perfect about who you are and what you do in and what you bring forth to the body and not know the one whose body you're a part of. And I'm saying that as, as someone who um, is in full-time ministry. But I'm saying that to people who need to know that the goal is not to just get you being the excellent church member. The goal is that you would grow up into the head, our Savior. And so the prayer for you this morning is that you would draw closer to Jesus. You would, you would seek to worship and love him and know him intimately. You would believe his word and what he says and as that happens, this other stuff flows out. So don't get it twisted. Don't get it fixed around. And if you're here this morning and you, you don't know Jesus, don't try to be a part of his body. Just come to know him. Come to believe him. Come to believe his word. Come to believe that he's died to save you from your sin. See, this is, this is the gospel. That you were cut off from God because you chose your own way. And now Christ has come to rescue you and reunite you back to himself. To take a dead child of Satan and to adopt you back into the fold and to bring you, to graft you in. That's good news. And the way that you receive that this morning is repenting of your sin, repenting of this selfish mindset and heart and turning and trusting in Jesus who loves you and has given his body over to you, believing his word, believing that what he's done is your righteousness. So I pray that you would think on these things today. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word this morning. God, I know that um, your word is powerful. Your spirit is powerful. And uh, I do pray that we all, as members of your body here this morning, Jesus, would grow up into the head, would grow up into you. And I also pray that we would discern the way that you've gifted each one of us and we would function in that giftedness to your glory so that the manifold wisdom of God might be known to rulers 
in the heavenly places. God, this is a work only that you can accomplish, and so we are dependent upon you. And we just, like, we just cast ourselves dependent upon you. Lord, we do pray that you would lead us now into whatever next steps it needs to be for us. God, grant us repentance from the things that we've heard this morning that we are in sin over. And give us faith to believe, God, that when we trust your word and what you tell us to do, you'll get the rest done. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning. Um, We'll tell you that uh, home groups are starting next.